Hello and welcome to the Kyle Porter Fan Show. I'm your host, Max Diner, here with Antonia Bastian. And you've never met a bigger fan. Yeah. <laughs> Max. This is our episode. favorite podcast, your favorite podcast, because we talk about our favorite golf correspondent for CBS, Kyle James Porter. I don't know his middle name. We can say James. <laughs> Sounds right to me. Did you know that Kyle Porter played Division One baseball at Oklahoma State University? Did he really? I did not know that. The more you know. <laughs> Insert GIF here. Hey everyone, welcome to the Mosaic Bible Study Recap Podcast. I'm Antonia Bastian, here with Max Steiner. Hello. Um, and we are walk, uh, just going to talk about this past week's Bible study. We walked through Matthew 9.35 to 11.1. And so we're going to ask and answer our three questions that we don't normally do. What do you wish I had more time for? What impact are we hoping for? And how were we impacted? Um, but first, I want to give a quick recap of the forum we had. So we talked yeah. a lot about this forum, and it was worth it. It mm-hmm. was so, um, yeah, fun and sweet just to have Jim Wilkin and Dr. Jonathan Pennington do a forum for us on the Sermon on the Mount, and then they did um, a Q&A, so they each shared a short reflection on what believers tend to miss about the Sermon on the Mount, um, and then we did a Q&A, and it was phenomenal. Um, and so, yeah, I just want to share maybe one thing that we took away from it, either totally. later or now. Um, yeah, I think, well, one, I love that they both, uh, ended up just using so much parenting analogies. Mm-hmm. It was really fun to see their personalities. Um, but also just, yeah, it felt like we got like a parenting for them yes. in one. Um, um, yeah, but just really encouraged, um, by considering the Sermon on the Mount and of course, Jen's incredible perspective just on how grace and law together and yeah, just how as believers it's important for us to not, um, like almost like not to be ashamed of the law, but rather to see truly how Jesus fulfills and perfects it, how mm-hmm. we are called to sanctification. And so just reminded of the beauty of um, the gospel that includes sanctification and what a gift it is to be renewed and become more like the Lord. So yeah. that's something I was encouraged by. That's great. Uh, one thing I was encouraged by in general was... Dr. Pennington and Jen did not like get together to talk about their answers beforehand, <laughs> sure. but they pointed in very much the same direction mm. in, in regard to the Sermon on the Mount focusing on our hearts yeah. and driving yes. that home, this surface level obedience versus what does true obedience look like. Mm-hmm. I feel like that was the consistent theme once we got into the Q&A. Yes, absolutely. And it was just cool to see if like uh, these, these words that we are studying, these teachings of Jesus the reason they can answer in the same way is because they mean something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they mean something consistent across times and places and experiences. And mm-hmm. the thing that they mean is really meaningful for us yeah. where we want to focus so much on our surface level obedience. Sure. And I think we often treat obedience in a negative definition of like, tell me all the things I have to do mm-hmm. so that I can be done with them and right. go on with my life. Yeah. And Jen made a great point where she talked about I, get, I think she was riffing on something Dr. Pennington had said in regard to human flourishing, but the mm. law is inviting us into fullness of life. Yes. This is not the bare minimum I have to do. It's not chores before I get to go to the fun right. stuff. This is the good life yeah. that's being described. And that was a great reminder of the law invites us into fullness of life. Yes, so good. Okay, well, this was a week where it's a bit different. So we've had some weeks where Max and I are both teaching, some weeks where neither Max and I are teaching, and mm. this was a different combination. Mixing so, it up. Yes, keeping you on your toes. No, uh, so Max taught for Men's Bible Study, and then Chelsea Jacobs, one of our women's ministry team staff members, taught in Women's Bible Study, um, and she just did an incredible job. So, um, yeah, I was really grateful for her. And so, yeah, it might feel a little bit different because Max sure. is coming at this as someone who taught this week. I'm not, um, but excited to talk about it. So, first thing, I'll let you get started with it, Max. What do we wish? 
she had more time for it. Yeah, so this is the second of Matthew's five discourses. And one thing I didn't spend much time talking about is the structure of the discourses. So the discourses, the way we know there are five, uh, is that they have an introductory formula and a concluding formula. And so whenever, whenever Matthew is putting one of these discourses before us, he's usually compiling a great number of Jesus's teachings throughout his ministry on a single topic. Mm-hmm. And the reason that's significant for us here is I felt this teaching it, I think you felt it as we were prepping for the podcast. Mm-hmm. If you've covered one piece of what Jesus is saying mm-hmm. on the cost of discipleship, it's kind of like, well, we've said all there is to say. Right. He goes over the cost of discipleship a lot here. And that's mm-hmm. because Matthew's drawing all these examples of what are Jesus's many teachings about the cost of discipleship and what it means to be sent. One thing that is important for us to do as mm-hmm. we study it is Matthew's providing us an opportunity to harmonize seemingly discrepant parts of Jesus's teachings. So we notice he instructs his disciples, go and say, peace be upon you as yeah. you enter a town. And then a couple paragraphs later, he says, I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. Mm-hmm. Like, well, what do I do with that? Right. Matthew, he's putting them side by side so we can say, how do these things exist in tension, but mm-hmm. ultimately in harmony with each other? Because yeah. the peace being instructed that you're bringing is different than the sword or the relational strife that will result from the message as you live it out. Mm, that's really good. Yes, I felt that, like what Max was saying, kind of like, oh, are we just repeating ourselves over and over again? So, well, Matthew's repetitive. So, like, ah, there we go. Yeah. As I think for me, I mean, to kind of on that note of um, maybe to not make it smaller, but I just had a very small thing, which was that phrase that stuck out to me over and over again, like, pray earnestly. Sorry, yeah. it's, it's mentioned one time. It stuck out to me multiple times mm-hmm. as I've read it. Um, so just pray earnestly that as we're, to your point about harmonizing, like, what is consistent about the kingdom of heaven? Mm-hmm. Um, and so just being able to consider that. And even as we, you know, I love reflecting. I'm a journal girl, yeah, you, you know. Are. I love all the things um, reflecting-wise. And so as even as the year comes to a close, um, well, it's not quite there yet, but it feels like it. Yeah. The year is coming to a close and even turning our hearts into the next year. Like, okay, what is consistent with the kingdom of heaven? And just seeing over and over again, it's called to prayer. And so even just seeing, yeah, this different aspect, the 12 are being sent out. It's a different mm-hmm. phase of Jesus' ministry. And yet we see this consistent theme is pray earnestly. And so just a reminder, and especially maybe, I mean, more time. And again, Chelsea covered it beautifully, but just this idea of Jesus is Lord of the harvest and mm-hmm. he's instructing them to pray earnestly. Goodness, what am I doing if I'm not praying earnestly? You yeah. know, um, so that was something that just had more time for implications of that, but also even like, yeah, like how is this again a repetitive theme within what it looks like to be a disciple? Yes, how many journals do you think you filled up in your lifetime? Oh, that's a sensitive question. Uh, I have all of my journals going back to when I was 15. Oh, my goodness, yeah, I still have them. Uh, I don't know, y'all, 2020, I probably had like eight journals wow. <laughs> so not really that pandemic well, time will get you it will yeah so i mean at least one to two a year for the last uh, 13 years i've completed so. one journal in my lifetime wow and it took me seven years to fill it up because i would put it down for literally years at a time yeah yeah nope just different people. Thank great. you. Thank you, paper industry. <laughs> <laughs> cool. But the second thing that I felt like I couldn't give a lot of time to because it was drawing us too much back into the Old Testament, mm. was the significance of Jesus choosing 12 disciples. And yeah. I think that it's just lost on us a little bit of how bold of a move this is for Jesus to pick 12 as his number, because what he's saying is, the old Israel's gone, there's a new Israel mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Uh, behold, the new has come. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of a slap in the face a little bit to Israel's past mission 
Although, if you study your Old Testament, you realize it's not... Israel as a kingdom was never very successful. Right. Yeah. They had Saul, David, Solomon, and then they're divided into two kingdoms, yeah. and then they're conquered, right. and then they're conquered again, yeah. and then they're conquered again. Right. And so it's just like, there was never a lot of hope for their earthly kingdom mm-hmm. to fulfill all the hopes that we see coming true in the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And yet, it would have been kind of offensive or provocative for Jesus to choose 12 to restart. He's saying, hey, remember God's purposes to bless the entire earth were meant to be accomplished through the one coming from Abraham? Mm -hmm. Now it's happening through this. Mm -hmm. And it looks very different than what the Jewish people would have been expecting. Yeah, no, that's really good. Thanks for pointing that out. Okay, anything else on that one? Not on that. Okay. I do have, oh, are you saying cuts? Yes, sorry. you do have other. I do. This one is kind of, I, I didn't want to cut it because I think it's, really important to a misunderstanding that I held for a long time mm-hmm. about the Gospels mm-hmm. and about the New Testament writings in particular. So chapter 10, verse 23, Jesus talks about how the disciples will not finish the work that's before them, finish preaching the Gospel to these towns that he's commissioning them to until the Son of Man comes, mm-hmm. or they won't finish it before the Son of Man comes. And so a lot of scholars have taken this line and lines like it And they said, well, that means Jesus thinks that his return, when he's coming for the judgment, is happening very soon. Mm -hmm. And you see it also in other places in the New Testament. They'll kind of say, well, the early church must have really thought Jesus was about to return any day now. Mm -hmm. And it's true, there is a sense of urgency in this passage. You were just talking about how the Lord of the harvest Mm -hmm. is here, which the harvest is kind of this judgment imagery. Weed and chaff are going to be separated kind of thing. But... One of the commentaries I was reading, he puts forward this idea that we need to ask the question, what is the Son of Man coming into or mm-hmm. coming to? Because he points us back to Daniel 7, which we talked about last week. Mm-hmm. And Daniel 7 is this passage where we see the Son of Man seated in the heavens, receiving the throne of dominion over the entire earth. Mm-hmm. We don't see the Son of Man pictured in Daniel 7 on the earth. Mm-hmm. He's in the heavens reigning with God the Father. Mm-hmm. And the thing that this commentary was pointing out, R.T. France was pointing out, is that Jesus is actually referencing when the Son of Man comes into his heavenly throne, mm-hmm. not when he comes back to usher in the final age or to do the last judgment. And the reason that's significant is it gives us a very different picture of the immediacy of Jesus's ministry. He's saying, you won't get through all the towns of Israel before I come into my heavenly throne, Mm -hmm. meaning when I ascend into heaven after my crucifixion. So it's not like Jesus is misunderstanding the timeline here. Jesus didn't guess wrong about when he's coming back. He's saying, I'm about to ascend. And part of the reason I think that's significant for us to think about is Jesus is looking forward to his ascension as a really significant part of his ministry. Right. I think this is something we miss at, in our Christian tradition. Absolutely. Jesus has ascended to reign over this present age right now. Part of the reason we can pray in confidence is because Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father, Mm -hmm. and he's interceding on our behalf from a heavenly throne. It's Mm -hmm. a position of authority. And so I'm saying a lot about that. But just to say, I think oftentimes we're like, we look backwards to the cross. That was important. We look forward to when Jesus will return. That was important. And we miss Jesus' present work now, which is sitting in the heavenlies. That's so good. Makes you want to go read Hebrews. Yeah, for real. But here we are hey, on the podcast. We've got another Bible study coming up. <laughs> oh, do Ooh, we? Okay. Oh, do we? Okay. Uh, moving on. Before we, get our, yeah, <laughs> before we get 
get ourselves in trouble. <laughs> um, okay, what impact are we hoping for um, on our community? So one thing that I think um, came through really clearly in Chelsea's teaching is normalizing the way of the kingdom that requires sacrifice. And I think that's something, um, of course, that comes through loud and clear through the accounting of the disciples, well, their lives even, you know, um, historically, Chelsea went through how each and every one of the apostles died, and mm. that was sobering. Um, and then she ended with a Dietrich Bonhoeffer quote, which you're like, wow, okay, yeah. here we go. Uh, but truly, it was so beautiful and moving in terms of considering that as we participate in the kingdom of heaven, that it requires sacrifice. And I know that I am constantly surprised by what that looks like, what that means, um, yeah. not just personally, but also just as a good reminder of being a part of the universal church. And so I think there was something that was important about sitting in the weight of what were these 12 men distinctly called to? Um, how does that impact the, um, yeah, the, sto- the Christian story? Like, what was their unique place in it, um, commissioned by Jesus? And then, of course, um, that being said, that there is a theme of sacrifice that is a part that Jesus is very clear about making um, a normative part of the kingdom until he returns. And so, and yeah, just to maybe piggyback on or circle back to what you were saying, Max, about like, it changes our understanding and our ability, like what makes it instead of terror and fear, but a way sobering, but yeah. that can move you to both tears of gratitude and, you know, is um, is that Jesus is on the throne, that mm-hmm. he is the Lord of the harvest. And so I think yeah. just the tension of that, sometimes I know my, you know, I can feel like, oh, I can really sit in the weight of the, the cost or even considering the weight that other Christians are experiencing, or I can feel like, okay, because Jesus is, you know, in his heavenly throne, I shouldn't be experiencing this almost. So I just like there's a really beautiful yeah. um, connection point of like, no, no, no. I'm able to bear this. Other believers, because sometimes I think like, I don't know how other believers in other parts of time and history and, you know, experiences, like how do they do it? Yes. And so being able to connect that, okay, to Jesus' lordship is just something I know that I don't want to get over. And so then I'm probably mm. going to have to spend a lot of time processing, but there's something about the weight of it that I'm hopeful for our community as we seek to walk in the way of Jesus and to parse out what is the way of the world that we won't forget or try to minimize sacrifice, but rightly place it where it belongs, mm. which is submitted to the Lord. Yes, that's good. And hearing you say that, I'm just reminded too that church history shows the persecuted church is often a very healthy, vibrant church. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those paradoxes of, I don't yeah. wish persecution on anyone, sure. but you see the fruit that is born in the midst of persecution, mm-hmm. and it's the upside down kingdom in a sobering way. Yeah. Um, yeah, for our community, I was thinking it's similar, that our obedience may not look exactly like what the early church experienced. Mm-hmm. Because not only did the apostles face brutal ends, um, but I'm thinking about Matthew wrote to an early church context where all early believers were persecuted, mm-hmm. not just the 12. Yeah. And we may not face bodily harm, but the cost of discipleship that Jesus is describing here mm-hmm. ought to make us consider, is there anywhere in my life that I'm living radically in a way that could be counted as costly? Mm-hmm. Because I think we can grow really content to not ask that question. Yeah. And one thing I referenced in my teaching was Paul Miller's book, J-Curve. Yes. And so for anybody who didn't hear it or if you're not familiar with the book, ironically, Jesus' life is shaped like the letter J. There's a downward trajectory towards death so that there can be an upward trajectory towards life. And we see that most clearly in the cross, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus dies so that on the other side might be life. 
But I just ask the question, and what I'm hoping for for our community is that we might ask a question of where are we being called to death of self so that there might be new life. Yeah. And that happens in small moments of our days. Mm-hmm. You know, there is a moment of death when at 9 p.m. I choose to stop looking at screens so that I'm not an angry zombie the next day so there might be life on the other side. Mm-hmm. And those are important J-curves. But there are also other important J-curves that I face just in terms of my openness to participating in God's kingdom. Um, And one that I think, this is an example I gave in my teaching, but I'll repeat it here because I think it's really relevant to a lot of our suburban culture Mm -hmm. and comfort, is would I be willing to entertain not buying the most expensive house that I possibly can in order that I might have more resources to devote to the kingdom? Mm -hmm. Would I consider living somewhere that I maybe wouldn't have considered because it's not the air quotes nicest Mm -hmm. by Richardson's standards, but it would allow me to more fully participate in the kingdom? Uh, I think that we should be asking questions like that. Yeah. No, that's really good. Okay, last question. How were we personally impacted? Listen, I always look at kind of weaves through all the Mm -hmm. other questions, so thanks for your patience there. Um, I think, yeah, just for personally considering what does it look like to, I mean, it's probably, it's literally what you just said, (laughs) like how am I um, sacrificing or how am I incurring costs for the kingdom? Yeah. Um, And how can I be, yeah, resilient, both resilient and in doing that over time, you know? Yeah. So what does it look like to follow Jesus? What does it look like um, to expect and not live in fear of what that looks like, whether it is a J-curve of, hey, I'm going to not say this thing because it will bring life, you know, or a larger one. How will I pattern my life in a way that I can actually be put in the way of interruption? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, just considering what that looks like and normalizing that and considering ways that I can personally normalize sacrifice and um, cost so that it's not a surprise um, and to intentionally follow the way of Jesus. And then I think too, just wanting to, um, yeah, just move to consider and be grateful for the witness of the global church. And yeah. by that, I just mean, you know, those who are experiencing, who are experiencing bodily harm, both, of course, we talked about, like, both are important. It's important for us to consider in one sense. And yet there is something to being mindful of those stories and, um, yeah, considering how to remember those and to ask for Jesus to intercede and to give strength and vitality that can only come from him. But I guess all in all to say, I want to regularly practice um, and just being more in awe of that, that mm-hmm. work that believers can be persecuted bodily um, and honor and like in that the Lord is doing something. So, yeah, yeah I think awe is probably the biggest, biggest word in that. Yes. Like, that's good. I'm reminded of whenever we prepped for our Ephesians study, we read mm-hmm. a commentary called The Drama of the Ephesians. Yes, loved it. And I think that we sometimes undervalue the importance of the spiritual work that we engage in because it feels very divorced from how the kingdom of God goes forward. Right. Um, yeah. And sometimes we can it can feel like prideful or self-aggrandizing to link the cost that we pay. Mm-hmm. But it's when you participate in costly discipleship, you're bringing about God's kingdom. Mm -hmm. You're enacting it. And the more that I can understand the work that I'm participating in is meaningfully bringing about the kingdom, I think the more that I will be motivated to carry on in the midst of that persecution or the midst of the cost. Because if I am just giving up an afternoon so that I can work with a refugee family and I don't link it to any bigger story, Mm -hmm. bigger Mm -hmm. picture... I'm not going to be motivated to continue on Absolutely. doing that work yeah. for long. Uh, the, the last thing that I had 
was I've been really struck by Jesus tells his disciples, he empowers his disciples. Mm. And then he says, go and go into people's homes to mm. share about the kingdom. Yeah. Now, I've been really struck with this because... Jesus, we see there are some moments where he authoritatively teaches to crowds, Mm -hmm. where he's doing mass healings, things like that. That's part of his ministry, and I think there's an occasion for the church to do things like that. Mm -hmm. But it seems like the the predominant way the kingdom goes forward, the message of the kingdom, is disciples entering homes Mm -hmm. and sitting over dinner with people. And I'm just challenged to think about, is that reflected in my own life? And this is something, too, like as a vocational minister, I feel like... I work 40 hours a week doing this. Mm-hmm. So am I really going to have somebody over for dinner? Yeah. Yeah, Antonia just mouthed me. I work more than 40 hours yeah. a week. <laughs> That's true, I do. But uh, the ideal me works 40 hours a week yes. doing this. Yes, oh, that and, lovely ideal me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I I feel this tension of like, man, I don't want to have somebody over for dinner. Yeah. I don't. If I'm being honest, part of that's because I'm also just like a social But if you get invited for dinner at the diners, they're happy to have you. (laughs) (laughs) No, all that is to say, um, I'm seeing more and more the importance of like, this is where real discipleship happens. It's worth maintaining that rhythm in my schedule, even if it's tiring at times. Yeah. So that's, that's been for me. That's really good. Okay, y'all. Well, we love you two more weeks. Two you more weeks. can do it. Yeah. You can do it. We, we can, can do, do it. it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.